I am so glad you're here. Boy, what a great day it is, right? A little bit different than last week. All this, the sunshine is out. It's wonderful. I'm so, so glad you're here. Um, my name is Mike, and if you're visiting with us for uh, the first time today, really, really glad that you're here. I want to get one thing out of the way that I really wish the Steelers were in the Super Bowl this year. So how many having big time Super Bowl gatherings today? Anybody? Okay. Wow, only a few. Okay. Well, we're a little sleepy this morning. That's okay. Um, how many 49ers fans? How many? We got a few over here. How many? Who is it again? The Chiefs. Sorry, sorry. Okay. No, okay, okay. I know Mahomes is kind of becoming the new Tom Brady. Everybody doesn't want him to win anymore. Like, this guy's amazing. It's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, it's just a great time to gather around lots of friends, eat a lot of good food, and of course, the most important part, watch the commercials, right? That's the biggest part. Well, I want to get right into things today, and if you're a guest with us, we are doing a series called Money Talks, and what that just is all about is it was on my heart to do a series about, let's talk about money. Um, I know that's not a popular subject, especially when you put money and church together. I know it gets a little tense and just a lot of, uh, sometimes negativity comes up with a lot of that. But I, I so much want us to be equipped. I want us to be good managers. I want us to manage money well. If there's one group of people on the face of the earth that should do really well at managing money, it should be the people of God, right? So mainly that's what this series is about, helping you through biblical principles helping me, all of us together, to manage money really, really well. So we're going to talk about today, savings. I I bet you, yeah, all right, I like that one. The Bible talks a lot about saving money. So we're going to talk about that and how to do that. Before we do that, I was thinking this week about a scene in the Gospels where Jesus, we saw the chosen uh, a few weeks ago, a small clip from the chosen Uh, When Jesus walks up to the fishermen for the first time, there's a great crowd of people in Luke chapter five, and Jesus is wanting to, who is the maker, he is the head of all things. Jesus is God in flesh, came down to die, came down to resurrect so we could be saved. But even more than that, he wants our life to be abundant here on earth. Would you agree? So when he was down on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, which I'm told for those who maybe have been to Israel, um, it's not as huge as a body of water as some may think, but it is, it is large, but it is the lowest point body of water on the face of the earth. It's just fascinating. Jesus comes up to his disciples yet to be, and as he comes up, the maker who's wanting to make a way for the word to get into the world, right? Just like what he wants to do with all of us. The maker of heaven and earth wants to make a way for the word which is the good word. Jesus loves everyone. He wants everyone to know him. And he wants that to go out into the world. So as he comes up to Peter, he notices that Peter's boat is empty. Of course, Jesus knew what was gonna happen the whole time. He says, Peter, I want you to go out and catch a boatload of fish. He says, oh, come on, Lord. We've been out there all night. We've caught nothing. But because you said so, I will do. I will obey what you're asking me to do. And of course, We know from the scripture that when Peter goes out to go fishing once again, he comes with a huge boatload of fish, so much so that the boat is literally tipping over. They have to call people over just to get all the fish in the boat. Now, here's the reason that I bring that up as I was just thinking about this and meditating on this is God wants our boat. God wants our heart. 
He wants to use us. And for many of us, we may say, well, my boat's not big enough. I don't have that big of a bank account. I don't have that big enough checking account. I don't have the big enough savings. And God can take the littlest of things and make, multiply it among what we would even, couldn't even imagine. He is the miracle working God. He is a God that can do anything. Yes, even with our finances, God wants to do something great. So I hope you're just on the spiritual edge of your seat today. Like, yeah, I wanna get this thing right. I, I wanna do what God has called me to do. And Lord, here's my boat and I'll obey. We together on that? Anyone seen the, um, by the way, we're gonna be in Genesis 41 if you wanna have that ready in the Old Testament. Um, have you seen this series called Doomsday Preppers? Has anyone seen that or heard of it? It's, it's crazy. It's, it's got all these people all over the country who are burying things and saving things for one day, the apocalypse. And I thought um, one of the particular episodes was, I don't watch it regularly, but I was kind of checking things out. Um, 50, I didn't know 15 million preppers live in the United States here among us, right? Riley and his wife, Diana, are the most unusual. They both are retired Corps air missile uh, I'm sorry, uh, military. And so they bought an air missile silo in Kansas. And his, these are his words. I am prepping to thrive and survive underground. We are ready for the zombie apocalypse, man. 18 inch walls, 400 ton retract, retractable roof. I mean, these folks are serious about saving, right? I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he was talking about saving, that's a little to the extreme. I just put up on the screen here some items that are for sale for those of you that might be doomsday preppers. I don't know if you've seen any of these things. It's crazy. If you can get a hatchet for $485, that bottle there for water is 134, flashlights 314 and the sleeping bag's 319. That's a little extreme, right? But just in case you're thinking about this, you know, I just wanted to put this up here just, just for conversation's sake. That's just weird, right? <laughs> Jesus had something much more different when he was talking about saving. I did not realize this, but 76% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Now, something else I found out this week as I was preparing this for all of us, and anytime I put a message together, man, it's from my heart first, but I was interested in where does the United States stand in individuals that save on a regular basis, save finances. I thought I'd just put up here, um, where do we stand on this? Um, could we put up the top 10 countries that save? There we go. These are the top 10 that save, have the biggest amount of savers of finances in their country. Now, those are the top 10. Where do you think United States falls in? Uh, bottom 10, right. Not even sure where we stand. We didn't even make the top 10 list. So we don't do a very good job as Americans of saving. So where do we stand here in America? 85% have less than $10,000 in savings. 33% have less than $1,000 in savings. And 34% have zero savings in their bank account. I thought that was kind of interesting. I hope those numbers can come up, at least for those of us at MVCC. And I wanted to open the text today about what it really means to save. And there's a guy in the Bible, you might be familiar with him. His name is Joseph. Joseph was at a young age, a believer in God. He didn't just believe in God, he believed God. God gave him the gift to have dreams and visions. He would see things in the supernatural through the natural. And so his brothers got very jealous. 
of him because he was close to God and because God was gonna use him in a powerful way. In fact, it got so bad that they, his brothers threw him into a cistern and lied to their father and said that their brother was dead. But it never stopped Joseph from his faithfulness, his commitment to do what God called him to do. He's a fascinating Bible uh, faithful follower of God. If you're looking for a character study, Joseph is your guy. This guy, I don't remember through the entire scenario of his life that he ever left the Lord, that he fell away from the Lord, that he chucked the towel in, that he just quit. He always moved forward. He was faithful to God no matter what. So I wanna read this text because um, in chapter 41, something happens to the nation of Egypt. Something is going to happen. And Pharaoh, who's the king, he's the ruler, he's number one. He becomes very distressed about a dream that he has. And he calls in Joseph. I'm gonna read this text and then we're gonna look at it a little bit more extensively. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin in grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven... I know this sounds really weird. Stay with me here. Um, Ate the fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up, but he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk, Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. Key word there, very disturbed. Ever have a night where you were disturbed about a dream that you had? I guess just me. Okay, so he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Look what he does here. I'm gonna ask everybody in my palace who has any amount of wisdom, because I need these dreams interpreted. I need to know what this means. So when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I have been reminded of my failure He told Pharaoh, some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and each had a dream and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. Joseph is in prison, right? We told him our dreams and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he had shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, man, and no one could tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. 
It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. Watch this. Look at the humility of the guy. Look at the humility of Joseph. He didn't rush in to say, well, I can take care of this. Look what he says. It is beyond my power. There's nothing special in me. It's not about me, King Pharaoh. Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Oh, I love this. There's so much to unpack in here. What, what, the couple things that I just wanted to mention is that when the ruler has a panic moment, when he doesn't know what to do, he doesn't know where to turn, isn't it interesting? In the middle of a prison cell, God can use a man who he was falsely accused and shouldn't have been in prison. He listened to God. He respected God. He loved God with all his heart. And because God was working in his life, those who were in prison were able to see this guy has God in him. You know, whenever we look for staff here, team members at MVCCs, we wanna continue to grow and expand our leadership base. At the end of the day, with all the resumes and interviews and everything that we do when we look at somebody new, the end of the day, the big question is this, is God in that person? Is the Holy Spirit just so so evident in their life that when you're around them, you just see God. That was Joseph. Joseph was a man who was so full of the spirit. He was so full of God that God used him in so many powerful ways. He is now sitting eye to eye, knee to knee, toe to toe with the king of Egypt, answering his questions. And of course, what we learn out of this, number one is this, saving is biblical and essential. The meaning of this is so simple, is that, there are going to be seven years of prosperity that are going to come to Egypt. And then there are going to be seven years of total famine and total depression. It'll be so bad that if we don't do something to prepare, the entire nation will fall. So Joseph, because he's a man of God and he interprets the dreams, he's able to interpret this dream for King Pharaoh. And it's so simple. The meaning of this dream For Egypt, saving is biblical and essential because it's Joseph because of the word of God in him and he's so full of God that he's able to warn Pharaoh, save up your grain, save save up your stock, save your cattle because there's a great famine that's coming and you wanna make sure that you're ready. In Ecclesiastes 11.2 in the Bible, it says, invest in seven ventures, yes, eight You do not know when disaster may come upon your land. And we remember, some of us remember, in the early, uh, late 90s and early 2000s, there was great prosperity everywhere, right? It was just the stock market was killing it. People are making investments. People are buying up real estate like no tomorrow. People are living the dream, man, in the United States of America. And then all of a sudden, do you remember when 2008 and 2011 hit? The stock market tanked, the recession hit, the economy plummets. People were losing their businesses. Many were losing their their homes. Suicides, breakup of marriages were never higher during that time. Someone asked, how are you sleeping at night? And one business guy who had millions, he said, I've sleep like a baby. I woke up every hour and cried. There was a lot of pain and a lot of heartache during that time. Inflation rate was skyrocketing. I don't know if some of you remember this. The future was extremely uncertain. They say that 78% of us will at least one point in our life have negative financial event within a 10-year period. 
But for those who applied God's word to our finances, we're able to stay the course. So what is biblical, I believe, in managing our money, that's what we're talking about in this series, is doing well with what we have. And remember from last week, God owns all of it. It's his. This is something that my wife and I have followed for years. It's called the 10-10-80 rule. Some of you might um, know about this. Some of you might follow it. It's so simple. It makes so much sense that 10% goes to God first. Why? Because we love God, because we put the kingdom first. So that means we give to God first. When our kids were little, we got them little um, church banks. And so whenever they would make like a dollar or they'd make $2 at their you know, endeavors at mowing the lawn or doing something, we would teach them to give the first fruits back to God. And we put a dime for every dollar inside this church because we wanted them to know God comes first. If we express our love for God, it's not something we have to do. We wanna do this because God has been so good to us. We just wanna put him first. It's really not about the amount, it's about the heart. Does that make sense? And then the 10, the second 10 is for savings. Malachi 3.8 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be good in the house. It's the only place at least I know that God said, test me in this. I dare you, I dare you to obey my word, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings that there will not even be enough room for you to store it. One of many ways to thank God, I believe, is from the very first crop, the very first of what we have. So 10%, it's yours, Lord. 10% goes to savings, which means we save well. And then 80% is spent on anything else. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. God could have said, hey, I want you to give 90% and live off 10. But he says, give me the first fruits and then you can do whatever you want with it, of course, according to my word. When my wife and I uh, were looking for a home in Mission Viejo, I think I shared this uh, a time ago, but uh, when we were looking to purchase a home, we had been renting for a while. And I feel sorry for some of the 20s, early 20-year-olds, you know, trying to buy a house, just newly married. Good luck. No, <laughs> I didn't mean that, but um, it's tough. It's tough in this, uh, in this time that we live in to buy real estate. So we were just looking around different um, real estate agents in Mission Viejo, Lake Forest. And every time we looked at a home, we came back and said, this is just, this is just impossible. How in the world on like $40,000 a year, how in the world are we gonna be able to buy a home? And every time we come home, we just get so discouraged. And so, well, maybe we should just continue to rent. And there's nothing wrong with renting, but I just wanted to have something you know, that we could build on. So I remember it was an afternoon, we pulled into the parking lot here at MVCC. And there was some people around and one of them came up to us. One of the guys came up and said, um, hey, I heard you guys are looking for a home. And I thought he was gonna be like, hey, we'll show you some houses. I'm a real estate agent. We got a lot here. He says, um, you know, my wife and I have been thinking, we'd like to help you with the down payment and you don't have to pay it back. So after all the tears and the hugs, and, oh my gosh, this is not happening. This is, this is unbelievable. God really spoke to my heart about because you honored me first from the day you got home from your honeymoon, I've honored your request. I just think that's like God. God can do the impossible. Now, I'm not saying if we put God first in everything, he's gonna get us a house, but there's so many ways that God wants to bless us, but he's saying, where is your heart really 
I'm looking for some Josephs out there. I'm looking for some Josephs that will obey me and, and trust me and believe my word and do what I've asked them to do. Why? Because I said so. And I trust him. And number two is this that I see out of this text is saving is a decision. Saving is simply a decision. Joseph's first instinct in the dream, the interpretation of the dream was to save, save, save. Because dark days are coming to Egypt and we want to be ready for the recession that's coming, the depression. We want to have enough grain, 20% of all the grain stored up for the famine. He had a plan. He had God's plan. He had full support of Pharaoh. Isn't it interesting that the man of God who God used because he was so humble He comes alongside now and Pharaoh puts him in second in command. It's just an amazing unfolding of what God can do when we just say, okay, Lord, you can have my boat. I don't remember anyone drifting into financial peace. It doesn't just happen. It's not by accident. Just like many of us decided to accept Jesus Christ in our life, many of us have decided now to follow Jesus. And many of us here, have decided, yes, I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to completely surrender everything to God. And we decide to follow him with obedience. We don't save by accident, do we? So we can start now, or maybe we've already started, which leads to number three, saving money protects our loved ones and helps those around us. That was Joseph's heart. That was God's heart. Through grace and through his mercy, Working through one man to interpret the dream, he wanted to make sure that everyone was taken care of. In 1 Timothy 5, 8, it says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty heavy duty. What he's really saying is, I want you to take care of your loved ones around you and even those that are around that may need some help. Joseph didn't keep all the stuff for himself. He took care of those around him. God's heart is to release love and grace and all those amazing things that God has through us. This whole plan in Genesis chapter 41 was to protect, to protect the family that would bring Jesus into the world. That's fascinating to me. That is a, that is a huge win. That is huge. That, that God already saw in the big picture that Jesus would be born, who is in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but was willing to become a servant and even die on a cross. The little baby that was born to Mary, God was protecting all those years, that incredible event, because he knew that you and I would be here today and we needed a savior. Isn't that amazing? That God was all through Genesis, all through Deuteronomy, all these Old Testament books, he was preparing us Jesus is on every page of the Bible. He is amazing. He is awesome. He is the almighty God. He is the one that loves us without limits. He is the one that came from heaven to earth to bring us relationship with him. And now we get to partner with him when he says, just let me have your boat. I will fill it with beyond blessings. You can even imagine. Maybe what we think is, I don't want to give God my boat because he'll take it away from me. Listen, if God takes it away from me, he's going to give you something better. That's just how he is. And he will fill that boat. He will fill your life with so many blessings. Look at Acts chapter two, verse 42 to 48 with me. The early believers, this is after Jesus had died on the cross, risen, spent 40 days with the disciples, giving them some final instructions. And then he was 
as he was ascending into heaven, the disciples now, the 12, and looking up at his soul, the soles of Jesus' sandals, and they remember Jesus' words, go to Jerusalem and wait. As they went to the upper room in a prayer meeting, God's Holy Spirit came among that group of believers and fired them up. Peter flings the door open and he sees thousands of people of Jewish descent who had been there for Pentecost. And he gives the very first good news message about Jesus. And literally the people say after Peter's message, they say, well, what do we do now? And Peter says, you must, you must repent of your sins, be baptized. What he's saying, he must accept the Lord to be saved. And 3,000 people right on the spot give their life to Jesus Christ and get baptized. Must have been an amazing scene. And this is what they're doing after. All the believers devoted themselves. This is the church now devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. I don't think they they sold everything that they had. I I think this is in context that some of them had a great abundance and they're willing to sell that off to help that those were in need. Why did they do that? Because God had come to their heart because God had changed them from the inside out. And life now is not just about me, mine, and what I have. Life is about family. Life is about God first, but it's about those around me. And that's what saving is so important. Saving is important because it not just takes care of family, but it's God's plan to take care of those around us when a crisis may hit. And we don't know when a crisis may hit. Amen? You know, MVCC here, we have a yearly We call a yearly financial plan, a budget. We anticipate through your generosity and your faithful giving through all of us here, what we're able to do within the boundaries that God has given us as far as ministry and reaching more people and doing the things that we really feel like God has called. And there's a certain portion of that that we're able to use for savings because of your generosity and your faithfulness. I'll just give you an example of the things that you were able to do through your giving Do you remember when there was that great Haiti earthquake years ago? Some of our team members were actually there on a missions trip during that time. And there was a small little orphanage there. And because you had been so faithful, we were able to give a small amount of money. I think it was about $50,000 to help not only our team, but to help the orphanage, the children that were there. I don't know if you remember that in Indonesia, there was a great tidal wave. Many, many lost their lives because of a tsunami And God had provided a little extra so that we could help others. The Maui fires that recently hit the island of Maui, because of your generosity and love, we're able to help some of those families that were in absolute dire straits. So saving is good for the right reasons. It's biblical. It's right. So we try the 10, 10, 80 rule and it works. Isn't it interesting how God's formulas work? Worked in Genesis, and it works today. Now, I really want us, as I wind this down, to evaluate some of our spending habits. You know that 80%? So I'm going to meddle with you a little bit. Is that okay? I don't want to just be, you know, I don't want to just tell you something and make you feel good. I want to poke you. I want to prod you a little bit. I I want you to think about what are we really doing with that 80%? Now, some of you are going to get really upset with me about this, but that's okay. I still love you. 
I always love you. Here's some ideas. And I'm so glad today because uh, some of you have been asking after last week, uh, starting the series, is there some kind of uh, material that we can go through a class on doing money God's way to get my finances in order? Today, right outside here, when you leave the auditorium, there's a, a ministry group called Thrivent. And they have a, it's called Money Canvas. And basically, it's, it's a three-part series online. And you can just get the information right outside. And it's such a helpful helpful way for us to do finances God's way. It's so simple. It's so helpful. I I just hope that every single one of us today would go through that material and you can do it at your leisure. So here's some things I'm going to ask us to consider. What if we eat out in restaurants less? By the way, has anybody noticed the prices are like, man, I used to get like a Big Mac meal when I got, got one once in a while, six or seven bucks. That's like $15 now. But what if when we eat out, I'm not saying we can never eat out. I'm just saying when we eat out in restaurants, what if we make a decision? You know, I'm going to hold back on that. Eat out less and take my lunch to work. Oh, not that. I don't want to do that. Now the average family could save $200 a month if we just eat out a little less. How about this? Maybe order water when we go out to a restaurant. The average family spends $1,000 a year on sodas. Go figure. I don't know. Make your own coffee at home. No, I can't go to Starbucks. Not saying we can never go there. I just want us to evaluate how we spending all of our money. You know, the average monthly bill for Starbucks is 180 bucks just for one person. I'm sorry, that's for an entire family. Sorry, no, an entire family. We could call or email or notify our utility companies and make sure that we're getting the best rate. We could cut some of those channels that we don't use on cable TV and drop our bill 50, 60, 70 bucks. Um, Some other things we could do is drop some of the subscriptions that we have that we're not really using. This is a big one. Consider buying used, excuse me, in the OC, we call it (laughs) pre-owned. The refrigerator broke. Oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? We rush down to Best Buy and look at all the refrigerators. And again, there's nothing wrong with this, but I would just ask us to consider that some of those purchases, maybe we could get them used and save money. What? for a coming crisis or helping somebody else when a crisis comes. So instead of maybe going to Best Buy this year, we're gonna do something a little different. I'm gonna look on OfferUp. I'm gonna look on Craigslist. I'm gonna look on Facebook Marketplace. And maybe I can get something that somebody just upgraded and it's still working fine. Does, Does that make sense? Can I meddle a little bit further? Buy my clothes from a thrift shop. I don't even like going into a thrift shop. I get hives when I go in there. It smells weird. And I just, yuck. I'm not saying that we completely go overboard on this stuff. I'm asking us to consider some of these things. Why? Because saving money is biblical. It's good. Not to say that we can't have nice things. I'm not saying we can't buy new things. I'm just asking us to reconsider on how we're spending that 80%. I want to close with sharing you with about a guy named Larry. 
Larry went through um, a heart-wrenching divorce and even bankruptcy from the business he had. But he was such a man of integrity, he decided that he was gonna commit himself to $20,000 of paying it back out of his own pocket. His house got taken from him by his former owner. He didn't have a car. And after his first child support payment, he had $27 in his bank account. A friend lent him an old, 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 old bicycle. He's peddling his son to preschool, one of those little carriers on the back of the bike. And on the very first day of preschool, literally, it started raining. He had a conversation with God and said, God, really? On the first day, it's raining as I'm driving my son to school. But he decided he would see it through. He got on the 10, 10, 80 plan and invited God into his finances. He has now has a great retirement program. His two-year-old son, who was on the back of the bike, is now grown up and a missionary planning other churches. He's remarried. He has a wonderful house, everything he could ever have. But here's the most important thing that brings joy to his life. He's able to give and support the kingdom first because he put those principles in place. I don't know where all this lands for us, but my hope, my prayer is that we make a decision to say, yes, I'm gonna make a change. I wanna do this God's way. This money talk series, again, please, please hear my heart. It's not about getting more money for the church. I just want you and I to be equipped to manage well and to take care of those around us. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.